Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Lindsay Sanger with Remax Elite in Melbourne, Florida. Last year, she closed 166 transactions with a total sales volume of $13 million. Her average sales price was $79,000, of which 10% were buyers and 90% were sellers. She operates a team with four members one buyer specialist, one field specialist, one personal assistant, and one team leader. Lindsay Sanger is the team leader of the Lindsay Sanger Group. She has been an agent for seven years. She works the Brevard County market. Lindsay started as a traditional agent. Then her market shifted downward. The homes that were selling were REO and short sell. So, she switched gears and aggressively pursued REO. This interview focuses on how Lindsay developed and maintains her REO business. Lindsay first educated herself. She searched the internet. She took all the REO courses she could find. She watched webinars. She attended conferences. She added certifications. She learned how to speak the REO language. After she immersed herself in the industry, she applied to banks and asset managers. Her efforts paid off. Now, she has relationships with four asset managers, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They hand her REO assignments month after month. Lindsay's biggest piece of advice, follow protocol. Search for each bank's process and follow it to the letter. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me. Before we get started talking about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what did you do before you got into real estate? Before I got into real estate, I was a college student. And once I graduated from college, I very briefly worked um, over at the Kennedy Space Center doing marketing for them and quickly realized that the office setting type lifestyle did not work out for me and my personality and what I wanted to accomplish. So um, very quickly we parted ways and I started working in real estate and have been uh, doing so ever since. How did you choose real estate? I started looking at what I had gone um, into the marketing field to do, which was to maximize exposure on whatever product it was that I was working with. I I focused in school on uh, psychology and business, so I really got a good feel of of the psychology behind why things happen. And I felt like um, that was something that I really wanted to be able to break down and get to work with why people want to buy what they buy. And I felt like in real estate, there's nothing that they want more than to own a home. There's nothing that they want more than to be in the home that makes them happy. And I, I found that intriguing. 
When you got into the business, do you think that you had a fast start or a slow start? When I got into the business, I think that I was always determined and driven and in no way unsuccessful, but that there was a better way to do it and I hadn't figured it out yet. And so I think that that reflects in the beginning of my career um, in my numbers and why they were um, not as high as they are today because I had to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder. How long have you been in the business? I started in real estate in the beginning of 2004. So about seven years. Yes. Let's talk about your market now. You're in Melbourne, Florida. Where is Melbourne? Melbourne, Florida is located very close to where the space shuttle was previously going off, and hopefully we'll have something similar to that soon here. It's about 45 minutes east of Orlando. We've got a a nice waterfront community within our our community. So we also have a big uh, technology-based employment-wise. We are very technology-based due to the Space Center aspect. Describe your current market for us. What's the average price, type of homes, days on the market? Our current market right now is one that we're seeing effects, obviously, uh, as everybody else in the in the United States is a distress-type market. Um, we are currently have a, a average sales price of right around 100000 here in this area, and our days on the market run about 120 days. Do you see the price trend going up, going down, or staying flat? Well, if you look at our overall market from last year this time to this year this time and, and do an overall statistic run through our MLS data, you find that it's about 5% less than it was the year before. However, in recent months, we have seen um, some gain, which has, has helped make up for losses that we were seeing in the beginning of the year. Therefore, we're right about that 5% right now. In your market, if you were to look across it, do you think that you have more retail sales or REO and short sales? I think that in our market currently, it's a distressed market that is, and you're seeing that reflected in our sales. You're seeing that the majority of sales are short sale and REO In your market, do you have a niche or a specialization? Well, I always like to say that my niche or specialization in real estate is whatever the current trend in real estate may be. You always have to be changing and adapting to what the market is doing or I feel that you won't be successful. You know, being stuck in one niche or one trend isn't going to help you when that niche or trend changes and real estate is cyclical. So currently I'm working with the distressed market, which is where the majority of our sales are coming from. And when you say distressed market, does that mean you're working with the banks or are you working with short sales? I'm working quite a bit um, in the REO side of things and I'm just starting again to work with more short sales because I'm starting to see a trend where the banks are wanting to uh, prevent going into the foreclosure market and try to head that off and, and do a short sale and they're being more friendly towards that. So I see a changing in the trend and I definitely want to be a part of that. Please list the different ways that you're generating leads in business. Even in the distress market, there's just no better way to generate leads in business than to 
put your actual contact out there to talk with as many people as you can to network and spread the word about what it is that you do. I just don't think that there's much more of a substitute for that. There's things that can help that, but there's something very, very powerful about you know, my having a conversation with someone in regard to how I can personally help them. And so I, I try to make as much contact and, and personal touches as I possibly can. May that be with an asset manager that I'm working with, uh, a homeowner who's doing a short sale, or a person who's looking to purchase one of my listings. Let's talk about the REO business. There are a lot of people who don't know much about it. And so let's go back to the beginning. How long have you been in the REO side of the business? I started working almost three years ago uh, with the asset managers in the REO side of the business because that was where the trend started to change and adapt for real estate. And I, and I saw that and I focused on it and wanted to be involved with it so that I could continue to be involved with real estate. How did you break into it? How did you make your first contact that became fruitful? I did a lot of, I, I believe firmly in you have to have the education and you have to have the background to support what it is that you're talking about. And of course, you know, taking courses and never practically applying those don't do you any good, but it gives you the knowledge and the background. So I started there. I started with um, courses that were being offered to real estate agents in regard to REO, in regard to getting business for REO. And I started working towards making contacts and you know, sending emails, applying for um, companies to interview me. And that's really where it started. It, it started with me um, putting out as much information about myself as I possibly could and making as many contacts as I could and letting people know that, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting the education and the certifications that are required to do this job. You know, give, give me the chance to do it. How did you go about making those original contacts? Did you do it all by email? Did you make phone calls? Did you visit in person or send out letters? What process did you use to get those contacts started? Well, anybody who knows uh, dealing with REO business, they like to deal a lot with um, internet systems, um, logins, emails. They, they don't typically want to be on the phone with you unless you're currently managing assets with them. So it's a little difficult to get one of them on the phone to just have a, a chit chat with you unless they have a specific reason to. So you have to really start by trying to get attention through your resume that you input and, and through the different channels that they give you to follow. One thing that really I think aggravates them more than anything is when somebody doesn't follow protocol. That tells them that they're going to have a problem with that person from word go. So following the protocol and taking the channels but trying to make yourself stand out um, was the most successful for me. Your first asset manager, do you recall who it was who you started working with originally? My first asset manager I obtained by working with a group of people who um, gave you contacts for different asset management companies and um, helped you to figure out what you were supposed to do to get in contact with them. And that's how I got my first contact. And then after that, I, I got a little bit of experience actually through contacting a few local trust uh, attorneys. They were able to give me a few properties that um, they had larger inventories and, and they had 
foreclosed on some, so I was able to get some more experience there. And then I was able to add that to my resume and put that on to help me to gain larger accounts. You've been talking about your resume. Where were you posting your resume? Um, if you go to a REO website, uh, asset management company, you'll find that there are places for them to upload a resume, and it web, if they're not accepting resumes at that time, well, um, it's something that you want to try to, you know, every few months or year, however long they tell you to wait before you are allowed to re-enter your information. It's a lot of persistence. You are putting your resumes up directly with the asset managers on their websites in an application process. Right, and anybody can do that. Did you initiate some type of email marketing campaign as well? I had an email marketing campaign for the ones that offer you an email address to send information to. However, if that's not if that wasn't an option for them, then no, I did not. I, I didn't again, I didn't want to go outside of what their protocol was um, because like like I said, they focus on on following rules and protocol that they're corporate. So they don't like it to see somebody variate from that. How did you determine which asset managers you would apply with or who they were? What was your process of finding them? I applied with any asset management company that I could find or, or was made aware of. I, I didn't discriminate against who I wouldn't, wouldn't work with because I hadn't worked with any of them to make a decision whether or not that was a successful um, relationship. So I, I did not in any way discriminate against applications. Did you have a list of the asset managers? Did you find a list or did you just find them one by one by searching around or bumping into them? How did you find these folks? You can find them easily by by going in and if you know lenders, you can search for different asset management companies online, you know, just compiling a list of, and um, making making the applications. And I'm just always keeping an eye out and being uh, diligent in regard to that. Again, let's go back to your very first connection, and we'll move forward in a bit, but a lot of people want to know how do you get these things started. So you put out some resumes. How did the first connection, contact, and then assignment come together? After I had submitted applications and information, I was contacted by an asset manager. I did an interview um, with them, um, discussed with them whatever questions it was that they had, whatever concerns that they may have, gave them the information. We had a, a good conversation, and then shortly thereafter, they sent over um, information for me to do a BPO and then to list. One of the first things they ask you to do is a BPO. Had you done BPOs before that? I have done BPOs for various reasons throughout my real estate career, so I was familiar with the BPO process. But as far as being an agent that focused on only doing BPOs to gain asset managers, I, I didn't go through um, that process. I, I wanted to focus on what it was that I felt that I had most to bring to the table, which would be managing the assets and marketing them to the best uh pool of clients that are out there looking for a home. What qualities did you try to put forward in your initial resume since you hadn't done REO? What did you try to emphasize to make sure that they would want to do business with you? The details of how I market properties and the care 
that I take in ensuring that each one was properly presented to the market. I think so many times that the REO community falls into that um, we just need to put this property out as quickly as possible, not pay attention to the attributes, not really put together a, a true marketing experience for anyone on that property. And I think that a lot of asset managers want to see somebody who is going to treat this property with as if it were something something special and that there's someone out there who can turn it into a home. And so many times we we don't see that with REOs. So trying to market it more as a retail home. Right. To show people that this can be your home. It doesn't have to be some fixture up or obviously in some cases that is the best way to market the property, but it doesn't work for all of them. And how many times have we seen as realtors where somebody doesn't even put up any more pictures, but you go inside the home and it's beautiful and there's no reason why there shouldn't have been 12 pictures. Um, and that can happen also in traditional real estate sales, but it's just, you know, getting across to an asset manager that I value that and I see how that is going to make the difference and how it's going to set my properties apart from other ones. You mentioned that you got your first contact through a group of people. What did that mean? As I said, I was doing a lot of research and I was going online and through different channels that we have through Remax, who has quite an extensive group of people who they refer us to for different any different activity in real estate. And so I was just trying to find the best contact and the best way to get started. And like I said, I went through online courses and they give suggestions and I had gone through one of the suggestions and I, I really can't even remember the the name of that website that I had gone to, but I went into the website and I had applied and then they contacted me and went over with me what I would need to do and um, what their role would be. And they had some sort of, if you got a, a listing, they got a certain percent. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I didn't work with them anymore. I was able to figure out from there where I needed to go to move forward with asset management companies that didn't take a portion of of the commission when you work so hard. And in most REOs, they already reduce your commission. Currently, how many assignments do you take on a month? It's also based on need, but we can take on, I have a, a team of, of field specialists who goes around and, and helps me in the field, making sure that my properties look good and that um, repairs are getting done. And then also a full-time assistant. So between all of us, we can take on usually about 50 new properties a month. Did you say 15 or 50? 50. Wow, five zero. That's great. Have you taken on that many properties in a single month? We have in the past. Currently, we aren't as busy as we have been in the past. But yes, we have. In order to get that many assignments, how many asset managers are you working with? I currently work with six, six different companies, asset management companies. There's several managers within the company that you have to deal with, but there's six management companies. Are you working just with private banks, or are you also working with government entities? I'm working with both. Which government entities are you working with? I currently work with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. 
How many private banks are you working with? Four. Did you start working with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac first? I started working with Fannie Mae first. If you were to look at your REO business, what percentage of your business comes from Fannie Mae? A good percentage comes from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They're they're big on inventory for me, and and they're they're my top clients as far as I want to make sure that I follow all their protocols and meet all their standards. So uh, anything that I can do to make sure that I'm following those standards is is what I'm going to do for them. The majority of your business is coming from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Quite a bit of it comes from them, yes. Let's talk about Fannie Mae. How did you get involved with Fannie Mae? How'd that come about? Any agent can go on and onto their website and apply, and I did that. And um, I, once I was interviewed, I moved forward with their process from there. How long did that take from the time that you discovered them and applied with them to the time you actually were taking assignments with them? I applied with Fannie Mae probably about a year before I actually started taking assignments with them. How about Freddie Mac? Was it a similarly lengthy process? It was a little bit longer for Freddie Mac. It took me about a year and a half. Going back to Fannie for a minute, the actual application process itself, do you recall what you had to do? You you said you applied online and was it a simple one-page form? What, what happened? Uh, it's not a simple one-page form. It's a very detailed application. And, and like you said, anybody can go and, and download that application and fill it out. It's several pages with um, lots of information required. How did you follow up on that? It took a whole year to get in with Fannie Mae. What did you do during that year to try to push that thing along? There's not much that you can do. You have to you know, make your application and... If you haven't heard back, you can make another application within their timeline. Did you have to do that? Did you have to keep reapplying, or was it just the first application and that's the one that worked? I'm pretty sure with Fannie Mae that their application timeline is one year. I'm not 100% positive, so you you would need to reapply within a year if you hadn't heard, I'm pretty sure. But it should tell you on there how long they hold their applications. And that may have since I applied because, like I said, it's been a while. Do banks limit the number of listings that you can have at any given time? Obviously, that they, they want to ensure that you're able and capable to properly manage the assets that they assign to you. So uh, based on the, the level that you're able to handle comfortably and the staff that you have to help provide for that, um, they come up with a limit for you. So it's a variable number. It's not a fixed number. They're just going to give you 10 and that's it. No, some of them have a, a fixed number regardless of what you can do. They're not going to go over that, but they may not even allow you that number. So that's what I mean when I say just because they have a fixed number does no guarantee that you're going to get that. They may feel that you can only comfortably manage two and that's that. It's just on, on what kind of dedication and, and staff, how you can handle you know, the the load of, of the asset because each asset has specific assignments that have to be completed within specific time frames and each each entity bank they each vary in how those time frames are as well. How did you add additional banks after you 
made the connection with the first one? Was it simply the same process where you continually applied online or did you make some kind of personal contacts? I used the process that was given in their website or through their, if they have a, a contact us email, I used the process that they send over to me and I, and I utilized that to the maximum so that I could um, continue. And I still continue to try to grow my business, whether it be through the local market, um, doing distressed um, you know, local banks, local homeowners, or even a traditional seller. I'm always trying to grow my business and that may include reapplying for some, some banks as well. Do you have a certain amount of time set aside each day or week that you pursue the new business? I think that it's very important that you have a schedule and a certain set of blocked times that you focus on activities that help you to grow your business or you're not going to move forward and, and you'll constantly stay where you are. So sometimes I can, just like anybody else, I'm not perfect and I can lose track of, of taking that time and I and I find myself reacting to business instead of being proactive and and it's and you see a difference and you see a change in in your business from month to month when you neglect things like that and I think that that's very important in a business and I try to always set aside a hour or two a day to growing the business so I can continue to become better and it is what I do during the one to two hours. If you were trying to expand your REO side, what would you do during the one or two hours each day? It could be that I, I know I need to make a contact and speak with an asset manager in regard to some properties that you know help to show them that I do understand their point of view and, and that I would be you know a positive person to give more assets to. It may be that I need to reapply because my application has expired with one company, it may be I need to send, um, you know, t- email touches of, you know, what updates of what's going on. You know, I'm, I'm constantly wanting to let my clients know that I'm working for them and thinking of them so that I am referred more business, whether it be in the form of a new assignment next time that it's available or a friend who says they need to sell. What kind of advice could you give somebody who was just trying to get into REO today? What kind of advice could you give them to make that happen? If you had to do it all over again, how would you start to make things go? You know, I would start the same way that I did back then, which is get my get my education in regard to what it is that I would be doing. Make sure it's something that I would want to do or that I could do. Understand the processes that need to be put in place to effectively run a business uh, in REO and make applications to all of the available asset managers and let them know what my plan of action would be and, and how I would effectively sell and market their properties as well as manage them because there are two aspects to the REO side of business. It's not only managing the properties and being effective at keeping them looking good and, and from having problems or, or decreasing in value because you, you're not paying attention to the property. And then also there's the sales and marketing side where you need to be performing at a, at a high pace and you need to be able to move these properties and in a certain number of days they need to be moved within a certain value and, and that value of course for any client is going to be the, the most that they can get from that property. So you, I would just go back to the basics of, of what I 
did then and what I still do today, which is there's no easy way. I know a lot of people want to say there's, you know, sign up for this kit and sign up for this magic course. And we assure you that you're going to get asset managers. It's it's just like anything else. They don't call it playtime. They call it work time. You got to, you got to, put in the time and, and really focus and, and try to make it happen for yourself. Did you sign up for some of the magic pill courses? I, I did. I signed up for some of them and you know what wasn't very successful as far as them just giving me something because I was trying to learn and figure out what would work best and I learned and figure out that there was no easy magic pill that you had to put in the time put in the applications, put in the work prior to actually getting any of the business to learn how to do it and what you would do so that you had a clear understanding when you made your application. It was clear to that asset manager, look, I'm talking to somebody who has who knows what they're talking about here. I'm not talking to somebody who just wants me to send them some listings. How many courses do you think you took? Anything that I could find online that would explain, you know, what what are the banks looking for in a BPO? What are the banks looking for when they're when they're man when you're managing the property? Uh, what would help the asset managers to do their job better? Any course that I could find, and then of course I would apply common sense to that and say, well, if I were an asset manager, you know, sometimes people maybe didn't have the experience, but were still teaching the course, so. You had to use your common sense and apply what would work for you and your business to those courses. But I took probably 30 courses and, and still continue today to take more. Any time that I see something being offered that I think would be beneficial, you know, I want I wanted to hear and, and learn more because I don't know everything. I don't think that I need to come up with everything on my own. I'm sure there's somebody who's done done it and done it well, and I'd like to hear from them how they did it. Do you attend any of the REO conferences? I do attend REO conferences. I attend them for learning purposes. And, you know, I have networked with other brokers who are doing what I do. And it's nice to have someone to talk with to find out what's working and what's not working. I am attending them, but I'm not attending them with the sole purpose in my head of thinking, oh, I'm going to go here and I'm going to get more business. If that happens, that's fantastic. But those asset managers, again, they're there to teach us and, and help us to learn how to more effectively do the business more so than they are to find another person who just wants them to hand them a listing. So the conferences are not necessarily to establish asset manager relationships, but more to be educated in the distress sale process. Right. And if you have that education and that background and you can effectively communicate when an asset manager does speak with you that you understand that, then they say, light bulb, that's a person who I want to be working with. This is a person who understands what it is that I'm looking for to help me to make my job easier. And that's what they're looking for more so than somebody who comes up to them and says, you know, all your people aren't doing a good job and I could do a better job. It's like, well, what positives and what assets are you bringing to the table here besides something negative that I really didn't need to hear? You also mentioned that you're making contacts with other REO brokers and REO agents. Was that a formal process or did that just kind of come together? Do you stay in touch with those people after the conference? Absolutely. They're one of my biggest assets. They're someone who you can share your trials and tribulations with and 
you know, what's worked for you, what's worked for me, what hasn't worked for you, what hasn't worked for me. And, you know, there's plenty of business to go around to all of us. There's no need for us to be competitive and nasty to each other. That, In fact, there are quite a few asset managers that if they knew that you were being competitive and nasty with other REO agents in your area, that they wouldn't appreciate that and wouldn't want, they want you to work as a team to effectively help your joint client. So I try to be in good standing with, with all REO brokers because that that's a positive. Do you try to create those arrangements of sharing in your own community or more across the nation in other communities? Uh, absolutely, in my own community and in other communities. I, I feel that it, the more people in my community that understand how it is that I work and what it is that I want to accomplish for especially our, our joint clients, the the better that is for me and them and, and our overall market. I don't have any I feel like I, I get plenty of business and I have plenty to do and that I will continue doing what I need to do and me talking to an agent in, in our community about, you know, what's working and not working can only be a positive, not something that should be frowned upon. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You mentioned earlier certifications, that you try to pull a lot of certifications together to pump up your resume. What kind of certifications do you have? You can go and there's um, through like different websites that offer courses. They can they can give you different certifications. And of course, Remax offers different certifications in distressed um, marketing of properties. So like the CDPE, the AREO, all those types of things that you can get through. I think the five-star conference that is very big and popular for REO offers a certification as well. And it really what a certification to me boils down to, regardless of those letters beside your name, which I, I don't know that those the letters beside your name, if somebody doesn't know what they mean, then I guess it doesn't mean anything to them, right? But what I try to take from that certification more than the letters beside my name is, is the information and what value I can bring to my business from that information. You mentioned earlier that you have to be prepared for everything that happens in REO. One of the things that agents tend to miss out on is that there's a financial cost of getting into this business. There's there's money that you have to put up to make these transactions happen. Is that true? That's absolutely true. If somebody were going to try to budget for that and they weren't familiar with REO, what would be a number that they would try to estimate for each assignment, each property that they take on? On an average, each property, it depends on the types of repairs or or issues. I guess you should say that property may or may not have. But on an average, you're going to put out at least $1,000 for property. And then in some cases, I've put out on one property $10,000. It just really depends on what's needed in that property 
for it to be marketed and what the asset manager decides. And not all asset managers make you pay out of pocket for everything. There's different, again, just like there's different timeframes, there's different rules. But there is, by, by all means, a financial obligation that an agent would need to be prepared for. Sounds like it depends on the asset manager. I assume each of the private banks varies all over the place. How about Fannie Mae? Is it more expensive to work with Fannie Mae or less expensive than a private bank on average? Again, it varies. Fannie Mae does require that you have quite a bit of cash flow to run your properties. You're responsible for for quite a bit of, of the cost. Um, we do have Obviously, throughout all asset managers, you will have some companies that have been contracted with that asset management company to be able to build to them directly, but then there's always going to be things that fall outside of that in most cases that you have to take care of, and there's quite a bit of that with Fannie Mae. These funds that you put up, you do get reimbursed eventually, is that correct? You do get reimbursed. You have to follow a specific reimbursement process, and then you will get reimbursed. What's the typical time frame that the money is being floated out there? How long are are you basically making a loan to the bank? Well, it depends, obviously, on how quickly you turn in your reimbursement forms. But if you turn in your reimbursement forms and you're on top of things and it all makes sense and you did it the proper way, it should be about 30 days to possibly 60 days if they're running behind. Uh, Have you been able to get all your reimbursements paid? Sometimes I, I have to actually take responsibility and sometimes if I didn't do my reimbursement form properly or I had an oversight on my reimbursement form, I can definitely end up having to pay the consequence literally and you know that that happens. But there's a set amount of rules and there's a set process to follow and if you follow that process you shouldn't have very many problems. So, you know, I have you have to take responsibility for that as as an agent and say, you know, that's on me. Are you handling your own reimbursements or is one of your assistants doing that? I'm very hands-on in, in all aspects of the business. I do have people who work with me in, within my team on on different assigned tasks, but I do like to oversee and make sure that my reimbursements are, are being processed properly. So it's something that I'm, I'm very hands-on with. I make sure that each reimbursement form I have looked at and each reimbursement form I understand why it wasn't reimbursed, and, and I work to myself to fix the problems and glitches that may come up with that. So I'm, I'm pretty hands-on with reimbursement, but I do have a, a bookkeeper who helps me to keep my books and that's so that I can track my reimbursements and my repair costs and it per each property and make sure that we're very organized. Do you have any tips or advice for people filling out reimbursement forms? When I sit down with a reimbursement form and I'm reviewing it, I sit with the, a, a quick guide or a lot of times they'll have like a handbook on, on or a frequently asked question reimbursement guide. I sit with that for each company and I review where what line each one is submitted on and I just it makes sure that I am diligent in 
the submission of it, and I think it, it starts with that. If, if the submission is done properly, it should it should flow correctly from there. It's tedious. I mean, it's accounting, and and as real estate agents, you know, we were. I'm I don't have a degree in accounting. I, I'd like to focus on marketing and, and sales and, and talking with people. That's what I excel at. So it's it's a challenge, but it's it's not something that can't be done with with diligence. Let's talk about the marketing of these properties. How do you market these properties? I market these properties just like I would market any of my other properties that when I was in traditional real estate, I, I do virtual tours. I put up as many good pictures as I can. I write a positive commentary. Even if there aren't a lot of positives about the property, I try to find what is positive and focus on that. I really try to present the property in the best light, and I try to market it to the people who I think it would best suit, and that's what I've done from the beginning of of my career in real estate up until now, regardless of who my client is. When you say you try to market it to the people that it would best suit, what do you mean? Are you trying to find target audiences for these properties? Absolutely. We always have to take a property and say, okay, this property would really work good for this particular person, say it's a starter home, a first-time home buyer. So you, you want to market it with things that would appeal to a first-time home buyer. You know, talk about the special types of financing that it can apply with, incentives, the special types of first-time home buyer programs that may be available in your local community. Those types of things you know, integrated into the listing to help to show how you can help get somebody in this house comfortably. Are you marketing these properties anywhere other than the MLS? Absolutely. We're constantly marketing these properties online, obviously, as a big place where where real estate has turned to, you know, at, there's a statistic that says over 80% of the people start their home search on the internet. So if that's the case, we need to be on the internet. So of course we have a pay-per-click campaign that our office does where, you know, we're putting out our properties and we're, you know, hoping that the people that are clicking on them, we're targeting to them correctly. So we are constantly working to tweak that so that we are focusing on getting the most for our pay-per-click campaign. We have also, of course, an email campaign that we try to do for properties. We also, of course, are use, utilizing all social medias. We're utilizing all of our office websites, all of our websites that we are able to register for for free where you can post homes that are for sale. Basically, we look for any type of way we can get our real estate on the internet and and we use that. We don't discriminate. And then of course I use some traditional methods as well. I still use some print advertisement for locally and I still use just good old fashioned word of mouth. If a buyer had called into my office and said they were looking for something and then I'm like, hmm, let me pull this file because this house is very similar to 123 Main Street. And I say, oh, I had four buyers that were interested in 123 Main Street. Let me give them a call and see if they're still interested in a property because this is the same floor plan. So just utilizing even everyday traditional methods works just as well as all of the technology that we have at our fingertips today. 
Have you accumulated a database of buyers? We have accumulated a database of past clients, and we always make note of a buyer. Say they call in on a house, and, and that house is under contract, and they don't want any help with anything else. We can't convince them to work with us. They say, no, I just like 123 Main Street, and that's it. You know, we make a note of that, and then when we have properties that come in that are similar, we can give them a call. So we do have quite a bit of buyers who we have acquired that we want to keep in contact with and follow up, just like any other uh, real estate company would do. Do you keep that in some type of electronic database, or are you keeping that a manual paper system? We have it in both, actually. We have. I like. I like to have things in writing where I can pick something up and touch it. I'm, I'm kind of old-fashioned like that. But I also know the importance of having a electronic database and how that can benefit and, and make things work smarter for us. So we utilize a, a lot of, of both, actually. You have a marketing background and marketing degree. Any other recommendations you have on marketing these properties to make sure they are sold quickly and for the highest price? Well, I actually don't have a degree in marketing. I have a degree in psychology and business. So, But um, I didn't want to mislead anybody there. As far as marketing the property for the, for the best price, um, obviously you want to, I always look at what the market is telling me. I look at the statistics and the trends of the market in that particular area. And then I turn the, those comparables over and, and see, okay, well, this would be the best price to market this property based on what we already know about this community. And then there's going to be things that you're going to know because you walk into the house and it's pristine and, and perfect, you know, okay, well, I can push the higher side of the market. Or you walk into the house and, and it's it's just a, a little run down, then you know, okay, well, I need to be a little bit more aggressive on the price here because of the fact that it's going to need a little bit from a buyer. Are you often double-ending your transactions? We do quite a bit get the opportunity to double-end transactions. If um, that property doesn't work for them, we always try to find another property, whether it's ours or someone else's, that would work for them. And I do have a buyer specialist on my team that, that helps me with making sure that we, you know, we try to utilize that lead when it comes in and we also try to find what works best for that buyer and if it's not one a property that's in my inventory we like to try to help them find the one that is right for them so there's no restriction from doubling your own listing from the asset managers no the asset managers want the property to be sold do they change or vary your commission if you double in not mine don't i mean as far as you take something something away because I double-ended? No, I, I, then I change because I get the buyer's agent's commission. Do you use any special software to track these REO transactions? There's software that is, that is required to be used by most of the asset managers. So that's something that they, in most cases, will tell you that they want you to use a specific program. What software programs are you using? I'm using for a few of them their very own personal in-house software program. And then, of course, there's like REO Trans that's being used and uh, Home Tracker. Do you have a software product that you're using for your team to track all these transactions? 
currently we're not using a software program that is a paid like a paid for program. We have our own in-house way that we are handling everything. We have a electronic calendar with notifications and it all gets inputted, which is essentially what an uh, REO transaction tracker is going to do. You enter in all the information and then it tells you based on what you entered when your deadlines are. So we have used a, a calendar system of our own and we enter in all the information about the property and, and we have an update and email us when we need to make our next move. Let's talk about your team. Who is on your team? What are the positions, the titles, and then the responsibilities of the people on your team? I have my full-time assistant, and she is basically there to support me in whatever I need help with. If I ask her, obviously, to do something, then that's you know what she would do. But then she also has some set responsibilities, which I have delegated to her for each day. And um, then I have a field specialist who helps me in the field, and she helps me with making sure that repairs are getting done properly and timely, that properties are staying clean, um, and helps me be in inside of the properties when I can't always be there. We, we share the duties uh, because obviously I still need to be in the field and I still need to be looking at these properties all the time, but I can't be everywhere so she helps me in splitting those duties and then have a buyer specialist who helps me by showing properties to buyers when I can't do that. How did you find these people? Well my buyer specialist actually used to be my assistant and so she's worked for me um, for several years and then we she wanted to you know move forward and, and do something more in real estate. She decided that's where she wanted her career to be in, so she moved into selling, and I've been working with her on, on that venture. And then I actually interviewed for my assistant by um, utilizing uh, the real estate community and asking if anybody knew of any people who had worked in the real estate community who would fit well for my team and was given that recommendation via word of mouth and, and then did interviews. And my um, repair specialist, field specialist, the same thing. I, I utilize my real estate community to get contacts of people who may work. So I, I really tried to use my networking. These three folks that are working with you, are they licensed or unlicensed? My buyer specialist is licensed. And then my assistant and my field assistant are unlicensed. How are you compensating them? My assistants are compensated hourly and my buyer's agent is compensated via um, commission on her production. Do you pay a bonus on top of the hourly or is it just hourly for the staff? There are opportunities where they can receive bonuses, yes. Going back to REO for a minute, What do you think has been your biggest mistake trying to move into the REO market? I think thinking that there was some easy, easy answer and not just going ahead and putting in the work sooner and and making sure that I knew what I was doing and able to effectively communicate that. I I think that that was probably one of my my biggest regrets is that I didn't buckle down and, and learn what I needed to know sooner. 
How long do you think it took you to come to that realization? Probably a couple months of realizing that, you know, nothing was, was happening and, and that I maybe needed to change my approach. What do you think the biggest mistake of other agents are that you see trying to get into the REO business? Probably not following protocol, thinking that they can go around protocol. If you were to give anybody a piece of advice on getting into REO, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give them? Don't give up and, and be persistent about the education of it. it it may seem like it's a waste of time, but it's not. It may seem like, well, why would I want to learn anything about how to have an REO business if I don't even have an REO listing? But if you want to get into the business, just like before you became a real estate agent, you had to go through courses and you had to learn what you were supposed to do to be a real estate agent. It's just another aspect of, of the job. And unless you already have the training, nobody wants to entrust you with, with that kind of asset. Well, you're not just doing REO business. You also are generating business from your past clients. Is that correct? Yes. How are you stimulating that business from your past clients? I try to make a contact with them at least once a month. I, I try to make some sort of contact, whether it be via a quick note in the mail, whether it be a phone call on, on rotation they're on to, to just catch up and see how things are going, if they know anybody who is looking to buy or sell. And, and when I do take the time to contact them, which, which hasn't been as much as it should, but when I do, it, it's always a, a positive, fruitful thing. Now, are you trying to contact them by mail, email, phone call? All of the above. Do you have that all scheduled out, a marketing plan, a schedule? Uh, yes. Are you sending them out items by mail? Yes, I do. What do you send them? We send a postcard with any pertinent real estate information, any changes in the market as far as if new tax bills are coming out or if, like, if they had purchased the property that year, we'll send them all the information they need to ensure that they filed for homestead. We try to keep the, you know, our relevance in the real estate market known to them. But then also we send, um, you know, just general information. We moved offices recently, so we send everybody a contact. We just always try to um, keep them in mind and, and think of them as important and as somebody who needs to know what's going on in our in our day-to-day business and, and get a thank you from, from us from time to time. Are you sending the same type of information by email or is it different? I don't send a lot of spam email type drip campaigns to my past clients. I actually will will send them a personal email if I can't contact them via phone. I try to make it something that's, you know, more of a personal contact than than a drip campaign because I do send them direct mail contacts. You've got a lot of listings out there. Are you receiving a lot of sign calls? We do receive quite a bit of sign calls. Sign calls are very important. We do utilize the 1-800-INFO line, and uh, we do try to call back every person who calls in on that 1-800-INFO line. We treat that just like any other any other sign call because obviously they are somebody new who we can talk to and maybe say, oh, okay, well, you're just the neighbor. Do you know anybody who might be interested in moving into your neighborhood? Would you mind if we give them a call? So we try to use every single opportunity to 
build off of and create a new contact. On your signs, do you have just the 800 info line or do you also have flyers that you put on the signs? We do have flyers for some of the properties. It, it depends on the property, but we do have flyers for some of them and, and we have the 1-800 info line on all properties. And we also utilize writers. We use a lot of writers with information. What kind of information? It could be the type of financing that may be available. It could be that there's a pool. It could be that it's a four-bedroom in a community where typically every house is three-bedroom. We try to find a positive and, and highlight that for that property. And again, if, if we can't find a positive about the property, there's always something that you can highlight to draw attention. You mentioned earlier that you're using social media what did you mean by that? What are you doing? Social media, we're just making sure that we're getting out information in regard to the real estate market um, on a regular basis. We utilize Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and then of course we put up information about financing, real estate, changes in, in the market, anything that we find relevant, and, and we of course post up all of our new listings. Do you use a personal page or a business page on Facebook? We have both, and, and I'm very um, mindful of the fact that there are business people on my personal page, so it, it does have quite a bit of real estate information. I try to always stay positive on it. I never try to put any drama or anything ridiculous on, on my social media pages. I always try to focus on, on a positive note, whether it be personal or business. And how many friends or fans do you have on Facebook? Probably about 800. And do you try to actively increase that number, or does it just kind of happen more organically? I think that with something like that, the quality is going to be better than the quantity. If you can keep up with a, a, some quality contacts who you know are paying attention to what it is you have to say, and they can spread some good word of mouth about it. You know, when obviously people see when they comment on things that are their friends, then, then it kind of just it goes from there rather than trying to just go out and collect a bunch of people who may not even pay attention, but all they did was, you know, click friend or like just so that you would leave them alone. You mentioned something about door knocking to listing appointments and showing appointments. What is that? I haven't had the opportunity to do it as much because I have been working, you know, in in the REO market quite a bit. But uh, one thing that I use to help to build my business and don't have a problem with using from time to time if need be is good old-fashioned, you drive by, you see a for sale by owner sign, you stop, you knock on the door, you say, hey, I noticed your sign. Can I can I take a look at your house? Can I can I see, do you mind if somebody that I'm working with, would you would you be willing to pay a buyer's commission? Could I take a look and see if I've got someone who this house may work with? You know, hey, by the way, if you're not being successful with selling the house, you know, what's been working for you, what hasn't, just start up a general conversation with people and you'd be surprised how many times that can lead to business for you. Maybe even not from them, but from, hey, my buddy wants to buy a house and this house didn't work for him, but, you know, here's his number. Good old, good old fashioned contact. How do you keep control of your time? That is a daily challenge. It's something that I have to focus on and work with. I, I'm 
lucky because I have my husband actually teaches a course in his company about managing your time. So he's constantly reminding me, <laughs> manage your time, manage your time, block your time. And, and it's very important that I sit down each day and say, okay, I have this much time today to work towards this goal. And then I have to move on to this. And then I have a, you know, a catch-all time when something that you know, maybe didn't get done in that other time block can then be picked up, callbacks, things like that. But if if you just constantly react all day long, it you feel stressed and, and like you didn't get anything accomplished and nine times out of ten it's because you really could never finish a project because you were constantly pulled in different directions. And, and it's hard to not let that happen. It, it's a daily focus and, and struggle to make sure that I, I, I'm proactive instead of reactive. Have you designed a perfect day or a perfect week? Well, obviously, when you're dealing with properties, things are going to come up that are going to become priority. Uh, say you're having a closing that day and you, there's a, a problem that happened and you have to stop what you're doing and deal with it. So it's not always perfect. I don't know that there is such a thing as perfect when you're dealing with something as, as ever-changing as real estate. But uh, it, ideally, a, a perfect day is one where I've blocked out my time to devote to certain types of activities, whether it be uh, business building, following up on leads, whether it be uh, maintenance of listings, marketing of listings, whatever the case may be, I've blocked out that time. And I'm able to be disciplined and stick to that and not fall off of my schedule. That's, that's a perfect day for me. How many hours do you think you work in a typical week? That's one thing that I'm also really trying to work on is making sure that I use the hours in the day to ensure that I'm getting the maximum amount done that needs to be done and, and not get sidetracked or, or lose track of what I was focused on so that I don't have to work as many hours because I do work probably 60 hours a week. Well, you've got this team of people running around. You've got these expenses to to get these properties up and marketed, people are going to ask, are you profitable? Well, one thing that I always truly believe is that you need to take care of the people around you and then you will be um, taken care of in return. So, you know, we want to always make sure that that they're compensated properly. But absolutely, there's a, a profit in it or we wouldn't be able to keep our doors open. If it comes to that, that it's not profitable, then, then something will have to change immediately. <laughs> For agents who are thinking about getting into REO, they're going to draw out a business plan and try to do it right. Could you help them by telling them either what your profit margin is, a percentage of profit per your gross revenues, or a target that you try to hit? I don't, I mean, I don't really focus on that. I mean, I focus on at the end of the day whether or not, you know, we were able to pay all the bills and and have something left over, but I don't, you know, something to save, something, you know, I, I've allocated everything out, and I know what that is, but I don't know a certain percentage on, off of each property. It varies so much in REO based on, you know, there may be a problem with your reimbursement. You may not get that back, but you were expecting to. So there, it varies, and, and I always just try to be maximum at following protocols because that leads to, me maximizing my profits by not losing anything in reimbursements uh, as far as REO goes. That's, that's a, I think, a major issue. Do you have a business plan? Yes. 
How often do you review it? Quarterly. Lindsay, what drives you? Well, I have um, a family, so I want to make sure that I am able to take care of them. I have the goals that I personally want to accomplish and work towards and, you know, see growth within my business. So, you know, that drives me. And I, I do actually really love what I do. I do like to see when it all works out and it comes together. That I think that, you know, it's a wonderful thing. So there's quite a few things that really keeps me wanting to continue doing this and wanting to do more. Why have you been so successful? I think that it's because I know that you're going to have to put in the time, put in the work, learn what you need to learn, buckle down, be disciplined, and treat this like a real job. In real estate, so many times you see people who are, you know, not really on a schedule, not really on a business plan. They don't have their time blocked out. And when that happens, it can be a recipe for disaster. So I've very quickly learned that this needs to be treated like your job, as if you worked for somebody who told you you needed to be doing a certain amount of work each day to reach a goal that they set for you. You need to be setting that goal for yourself and doing the work and putting in the time to make sure that you get to that goal. Not just going to happen. If you were advising a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Obviously, you want to always be learning as much as you can, taking advantage of all the webinars that are out there right now, taking advantage of the classes at at your board of realtors that are relevant to what it is that you want to work with in your real estate market, but also getting out there and making the contacts and letting people know that you're in the business. I used to set aside every single day, two hours in the day, where I just made phone calls to people who... Say, I would make sure they weren't on the do not call list. And I would call and say, hey, I, I saw that your house expired. Would you be interested in talking with me about listing your property? Hey, I was riding by and I saw that you have for sale by owner. Let's talk about um, the process and what's working and not working for you. I used to spend dedicated time in just building every single day the business until I could start to use you know, past clients and um, repeat clients to continue to build my business even more. But at first, I had to start from somewhere, and that's where I started. It it was not easy and not always fun, and people weren't always nice, but it worked. (laughs) Well, Lindsay, you set a goal and achieved it. You're flexible enough to shift with the changing environment. REOs flooded into your market, and you adjusted your approach. You educated yourself, pursued asset managers, and followed protocol. Your strategy, combined with your strong work ethic, paid off. I'm confident you'll successfully adjust to the next big market change. Thank you again for being our Rising Agent of the Month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings 
where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.